0: Flat is a state of mind. Get to know the people, science, and stories that make the Kansas outdoors more than flyover country. This is Flatlander Podcast, presented by the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and the Kansas Wildlife Federation.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Flatlander. I'm one of your hosts,
2: Nadia. And I'm Laura. I'm really excited about this episode. So we are doing kind of a civic engagement series, and this can be thought of as part two. We are going to be talking about the KDWP Commission today. And if you listeners are anything like me, um, you maybe have attended a commission meeting in the past, either in person or virtually, you've maybe paged through a briefing book, Um, you maybe know one or or two of the commissioners by name, um, or you know nothing, but just wanna get more engaged. And so today's episode, we are going to run through all those burning questions you may have, so that after you listen, you will feel confident and you will have the ability to show up at a commission meeting if necessary, and give your opinion, or um, reach out to a commissioner.
1: Here, here. <laughs> we have two special guests with us today. Uh, one is a commissioner, Commissioner Lauren Quill Sill, and Assistant Secretary of Wildlife and Parks, Mike Miller. So, Lauren, let's start with you. Why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background um, and tell them, um, you know, what your experience has been, you know, personally with the outdoors, with the commission, with the agency.
3: Well, thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um, my story with the agency is uh, as largely started as a child of a wildlife biologist who worked for the agency for a number of years. So I, I grew up in a, in a family of biologists. My mom was also educated as a biologist, but was a stay-at-home mom. And my dad worked for wildlife and parks here for, I think, about 15 years, and then went to work for Ducks Unlimited. So I grew up hunting and fishing, um, I think I was about nine, when I probably started bird hunting, and uh, hunted with my dad and my brothers for years. And so uh, have been heavily invested in the outdoors that way. Um, have taken it to put things like riding my bike cross-country and uh, enjoying. I've got a pack string of llamas now that I use for taking people into the backcountry um, on wilderness trips in the summer. So uh, I enjoy bird watching. So it's a wide variety for me, um, from hunting to non-consumptive activities as well. Um, as far as the agency and uh, my role on the commission, I've been in the, on the commission now for about three years, and uh, I suppose we can get into how that all came about at some point in our conversation. Absolutely. Mike, what are
1: you all about? Uh, I'm I'm mostly being old. I've been around here
4: a long time, (laughs) and I I knew Lauren's father, uh, Lee. He was... uh, responsible in a large part for how our deer management program has has evolved and how it started Um, when he was with us we didn't even have a deer season and so it was something that he was a a part of developing which is in one of the envies of the midwest at this point so anyway i started uh, in 83 and i've been in i was in the uh, information section for a long time a long, long time. So, uh, I didn't see the side of the commission until about 2000 when I started helping our assistant secretary at the t- secretary at the time, Rob Manus, and I worked as an assistant to him part time. And I started going to commission meetings in 2000, and I've been to almost everyone since then. So, I've learned a lot about the the way the commission works and and, under- and have a much better understanding of how uh, it helps us do what we need to do um, by connecting us with the public on a on a level that is different than surveys or phone calls or walk-in traffic. So it's a really critical part of what we do.
2: Great, well, two fantastic guests to kind of walk us through the commission. So I think to start, um, a lot of people say game commission, but it's actually, what is the formal name?
4: Well, it's, you know, obviously I've been around for a lot of different names for it, but the the commission is the Kansas Wildlife and Parks Commission. We take the word department out uh, for a title of the commission. But when I first started with the agency, we were the Kansas Fish and Game Commission. That was the title of our agency, so.
1: I wonder how that worked for the commission then. Was it the Kansas Fish and Game Commission Commission?
4: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that at that time the commission actually did make decisions on who our director was. It was a not wasn't a secretary. We weren't a cabinet level uh, uh, agency at the time, and so the commission did hire and fire our director.
2: Oh, wow! So it sounds like the commission's role has sort of evolved um, over time. But what would you say is its purpose now? <laughs>
4: You know, by definition, the commission, um, advises the agency on planning and policy. It's the regulatory body of our agency. And so we run all of the regulations through the commission, um, and they vote on them and they put them into, um, a law, as you would say. So, uh, it's, it's a specifically they vote on regulations, but they are, they also advise on planning and and policy.
1: Mike, I've got a question for you. And then, and then one, uh, for Laura afterwards, but can you tell our listeners how is the commission actually structured?
4: Well, there is an appointments office with the governor, and so there's a lot of different commissions and and organizations um, that that other other state agencies have, and so you can register to become. A candidate for one of those those um, positions, um, but and it's loosely geographic. So we really try to get somebody from you know different areas of the state because they do they do represent a constituency. Um, it has to be uh, it can't be uh, more than what four, three people of any one party. It has to be it, uh, uh, a mix uh, of political parties, um, but it is decided at the at the governor's
3: office level.
1: And Laura, I'm just curious, when did you become aware of the commission?
3: As a child, it was, um, because it was prior to the the restructuring, um, it was from my dad's work and having to deal with the commission, who were kind of his (laughs) boss. And so for me sometimes to sit now as a commissioner and think about some of the things I heard around the dinner table Um, I laugh a little bit and wonder what dad would think if he was here. (laughs) Um, So uh, my first attendance at a commission meeting was about four years ago. And what had happened is there was a pending draft regulation that was extremely concerning to me as a hunter. I thought this could be a problem for me hunting on public lands. And um, so not knowing very much at all. I had written an email letter to the commissioners and sent that off, not gotten a response from anyone. So I thought, I'm going to go to the meeting. I'm not going to take a chance. And so I took a day off work. I drove to Topeka because I didn't know at that time, do I need to be there at 1.30? Do I need to be there at 6? I'm nervous. I have no idea what this is about. But I had my letter in hand, and off to Topeka I went. And um, sat through the whole afternoon session just waiting and waiting. And, and then um, that evening got to, to share my perspective um, and concerns. And it actually changed, contributed to changing the direction of, that they went. And so for me, that was a positive interaction. But, but my first opportunity to interact with the commission
4: which is a perfect example of why people should go to commission meetings. She did influence a regulation because of her position. She also kind of interviewed for the for being on the commission because everybody was really impressed with with her how articulate she was and how passionate she was. So that's when we all, we took notice over at that time.
2: That is that is really cool. I'm so glad that you shared that because people like me, I always assume like a commissioner has been in the government or in some capacity like training to be in that position for, for years. And then they're finally qualified enough to go on. And so, yeah, it just, it kind of makes it less intimidating. I'm really glad that you shared that Lauren, because that's sort of, I, I am intimidated by the commission. And so um, just hearing that story inspires me. So thank you.
3: Yeah, you shouldn't be. Um, (laughs) We are all individuals. Um and the more I get to know my my colleagues on the commission um we're pretty average um, <laughs> in many regards and uh and ought not to be intimidating in any way so
4: that's the beauty you. of it um the, you are um average in a sense that you are very much like the constituency you represent, and that's really why it's a it's a very well functioning commission
2: well and that kind of inspires another question um with the constituency and sort of the geographic representation. So if I wanted to contact a commissioner, should I seek out the commissioner in my geographic area? Is that the best approach?
4: That's obviously one approach. Um, We have a system in place now where you can send a a message to all commissioners. Um, And some people do prefer to, maybe get to know their commissioner that's in their area. And I think Lauren probably has people that contact her directly. And I think that is a wonderful uh, avenue to take. So it's it's really up to the constituent. If if they want to get to know or, or they do know of a commissioner in their area, then by all means, they should contact them.
3: I think, too, there's an element of contacting your local commissioner versus all. Depends a little bit of, on the nature of the concern, If it's a local concern, um, I'm out of hutch. And so if it's a concern about something at Cheney State Park, you know, perhaps, and it's isolated to that, then maybe the local commissioner is maybe more appropriate. Um, If it's a statewide issue, then, boy, contacting all of us so we're all on the same page is a great way to go.
1: So let's talk a little bit about how commissioners come to be so obviously um all of our commissioners serve on terms um mike would you share a little bit about what that process looks like for someone to become a commissioner
4: you know it's there's a variety of ways obviously there is the appointments office with the governor that you could you could work through but you can also work with agency staff because we're always looking we we want um people from specific areas we obviously know we have to keep it as a bipartisan commission and so contact with the secretary um, or or assistant secretary is a good way to maybe get some background and information on becoming a commissioner and when it's a staggered four-year term and so uh, it can be a while before a position actually comes open so just basically getting your foot in the door and your name on the list is a good way to start but it can be through the appointments office or it could probably be through the secretary of the department be two avenues i would take
1: so just as a quick follow-up question, Lauren, what was your journey to becoming a commissioner? What did that look like?
3: It really did begin that night at that commission meeting. Um, at that point, I perceived a need for some greater diversity on the commission um, in, in perspective, in gender, and perhaps some other ways. Um I was actively involved in testifying at the legislative level against a couple of bills that were pending at that time and ran into Secretary Lovelace, who had just been appointed recently, spoke with him then. He also had known my father, so there was a common connection there. Um, throughout that process of being fairly actively involved in advocating for... Um, the well being of our sport of hunting. Um, I ran across him again a few weeks later at a Kansas Bow Hunters convention, and at that point, mentioned to him, uh, I'm not sure what this looks like or the process, but should there ever be a way that I could serve, I would sure be interested. And it came out of then that conversation. Um, that that appointment eventually occurred.
1: That's pretty neat.
3: It was yeah. unexpected. When I, when I was one of my trips to Topeka, I spoke to someone who was a uh, previous commissioner, and I said, how does that work? How does someone get on the commission? Because that was so vague and unknown to me. And uh, his response at, the point, at that point was not really all that um, encouraging to me because he <laughs> said, I don't know, I was a friend of the governor's. Oh, well, there's that. That's the third option. <laughs> it's an option. It it wasn't going to work for me. Um, and fortunately uh, uh, or otherwise, here we sit today. But but that was the journey that I took.
2: So I'm glad that you mentioned that you had been testifying um, for bills in Topeka because that sort of speaks to our last episode on civic engagement and also to our next question, which is how does someone know when it is appropriate to contact a commissioner or the commission versus our our legislative representatives?
4: And that's a great question. Um, from uh, the agency's point of view, we would prefer to have our, our wildlife laws in regulation it's much easier for us to change adjust and adapt through the regulatory process than it is through the statutory process Um, and so if it has to do with hunting and fishing you know limits and season dates and and laws and that they govern that. We would we would prefer that people come to the commission, um, and do it. And the other side of that is that that this commission is much more public. I mean, uh, they can they can in the stat, in the legislature a bill can come up today. It can have a hearing tomorrow. Uh, it's really difficult and can it can become a law rather quickly. In our in our process, and maybe I'm getting ahead of you, but we'll have a we'll have a uh, discussion item one month. And then a couple months later, we have a workshop session. We may have another workshop session and then, at a, at a fourth meeting we may vote on it in a public hearing and so it's a, and that is all done before the public and with public input with public um, comments so it takes a while it may take six months for us to get a regulation in place but it is done uh, what we would consider very transparently so we would much prefer to have regulations that govern hunting and fishing in the outdoors done through the regulatory process
1: far for our Flatlanders who are um, a little bit confused about regulatory versus statutory, I just might add a point of clarification. So, when the Wildlife and Parks Commission, uh, what they hear are related to regulations. So that's managed at the agency level. When something is brought forth in front of the legislature, that's at a statute level, a statutory level, meaning that it, it is law for the state. Um, so those the difference between those two two terms. And a little bit I might add too is you know how it accessible our commission is and not that our legislators um you know uh, at the state level aren't approachable or accessible but it's really neat in that the wildlife and parks commission meets all throughout the year there's not a session a time when you know the commission's in session and then they break you know lauren you guys are meeting every other month essentially throughout the entire year so that's also kind of a neat facet of our commission that they're very active
4: yeah. And it's, I'll say, I'll add just, just because I'm thinking of it, it's a standardized schedule. So they meet seven times a year and it's January, March, April, June, August, September, November. And so it's easy to kind of plan for, and, and it's all on our website um, or we do news releases ahead of time. So it's, it's easy to follow along and be involved if you want to be.
2: I wonder, um, just to kind of further highlight the distinction between statute and regulation, could you provide an example, like what is a a natural resources statute in our state versus a, a regulation, like just an example of one of each?
4: Well, we basically have statutes that give the secretary ability to set regulations. So everything is allowed through statute, but there are, there are a lot of our deer regulations are in statute because at the time that particularly, that particular legislature wanted it in statute. So our non-resident deer program and the, and the, the, the way that program work is in statute. So, it, it, it's, it's a confusing sometimes mix of statute versus regulation. Statute trumps regulation. So, if they do something on the legislative level, that takes a precedent over a regulation. But it's a mix, it's a, a really interesting mix. But they do give us the ability to govern through regulations.
3: I would think one of the things that um, I found most um, educating and, and to us, to a certain extent, exasperating um, as I have traveled the the learning process. If you go to kslegislature.com, that's the Kansas Legislature website, and on the left-hand side of the page, there's some tabs, and there's one that says statute. And you can go in there, and you see statutes, the law for uh, categories for All different things in the state. In Chapter 32 is the chapter that's about wildlife and parks. And in there, you can go in and read. Part of it's about organization of the agency and responsibilities and duties of the secretary. But then you can get in and you can actually see what particular um, laws that the legislature has made governing wildlife and parks and then you can go to ksoutdoors.com, which is the department website, and you can see where regulations are. And it is really interesting to see what's in statute versus what's in regulation. And I think the average hunter would be extremely surprised at some of what they find.
1: Yeah, and it, also I'll just add a quick little note. So when, when we go out, you know, to Walmart or our, our local license vendor or wildlife and parks office and we pick up, you know, the regulation summary, that's exactly what that word means. That these are regulations set forth by the department, and it's a summary of those. So
4: A, a little hint. What. Doing, what. Lauren just described, you can go to our website and go to laws and regulations and you can download a PDF of both complete statutes and complete regulations. So if you have a question about something like that, it's really handy to go through the search, put a word in, you can find out whether it's in statute or whether it's in regulation and you can kind of, it's an easy way to, to scan both of those documents through
2: the PDF.
1: Yeah, just some light reading material.
2: (laughs) I've already got it queued up to print.
1: (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about public meetings. To me, that's the bread and butter of the commission is creating those opportunities for hunters, anglers, outdoor enthusiasts to come have that face time with the commission and and express their opinions. So um, we kind of talked a little bit about the frequency, um, but where are these meetings taking place? I mean, do do people have to be invited? You know, do they just show up? How do, what's that look like?
3: The loft of my house right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought that was a Zoom background. No. <laughs> Actually,
3: one of the good things that's come out of COVID is that we have been doing uh, the Zoom style or even a hybrid, and we'll probably go to some more hybrid um, opportunities and retain that opportunity for people to participate virtually because, in and Nadia, you could give us the, and Mike, the the numbers, but the participation and the ability of the public to watch and to participate is much better. Um, we try to schedule those meetings when we're able to do them in person around the state so that people who want to come can. It used to be prior to COVID, that was your only way to really put your voice in and participate. So if you lived in Scott City and the meeting was in Topeka, you could plan on two days so that you could come and talk for five minutes. Um, So it's much more accessible to the public now um, as a result of that. But it really is a good way to meet commissioners, to meet staff members, that if you do have an opportunity to come in person, boy i highly encourage you to do it and please come say hi and and a little bit of history you know we we always tried to
4: move them around to different uh, communities. And a lot of times a commissioner would want a commission meeting in their home community or a smaller community. We felt like maybe we were helping the community out by bringing people to town. But as Lauren described, that could put that meeting a long ways from somebody who really wanted to be involved. So I don't think we'll ever go away from the Zoom portion or some hybrid version of, of the digital and the in-person because we have seen a much better representation from the public. They they've been extremely respectful. We haven't had people uh, in in, interrupt the meetings or speak too long through the zoom, but everybody's had a chance to listen and provide comments and it's, it's worked really well. And I agree with Lauren, we we, I've seen uh, some of our in person meetings with maybe only one or two public that showed up. Obviously, we didn't have a very contentious issue that night, but it still would have been nice to have more people involved in that. So it it has been a, a really positive thing that came from the pandemic.
2: So do you think, so, okay, as a member of the public, if I don't have a strong opinion about something necessarily or want to provide any, I don't know, I don't want to speak necessarily at the commission meeting, it's still okay if I just show up, right? That's encouraged?
3: Absolutely.
2: Okay. Okay. See, and I needed to hear that because my first commission meeting that I went to, I was, I remember I was texting my friends who work at the department. Like, is it okay? Can I come? Are they going to call on me? I was all afraid, but um, so it's good to hear that you can come and just be a passive, you know, participant.
4: I think you should. I mean, if you have an interest in what we do, because you may not know what could come up. I mean, we have non-agenda items that that some people can bring up at the beginning of both the afternoon and evening sessions. So while you have an agenda, you may not know everything that could come up. And so I think it's if you've got an interest and it's within your ability to come to a commission meeting, you should.
2: And you don't have to dress fancy or anything.
4: As Lauren said, we're all pretty average. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So, Mike, you had mentioned an agenda. Um, for our listeners, why don't you tell them, um, or both of you could share, you know, how does that work when someone wants to speak in front of the commission? Maybe they don't know what's on the agenda, um, but they have something that's on their mind that they'd like to talk about. What, how should they present themselves, or, or how should they ensure that their their opinion gets shared without interfering with the business process in place for the commission?
3: It's really easy, and there's two opportunities. Our meetings start, um, they're always on a Thursday, um, which we realize is a little inconvenient for some, but it's just necessary to do it that way. So they're on Thursday. The first session starts at 1 o'clock, and we do introductions, and about the first thing that happens is Chairman Lauber asks, is there any public comment on non-agenda items? And it is. This is a great time for somebody to stand up and share, um, this is my concern, I just wanted you to know, this is my concern, and I would like you to respond to it. Um, And so they can share that way. If it is on the agenda, you know what, it's okay. Okay. Because we'll retain that information and discuss it later. Folks don't have to know. There's, We're not going to kick them out of the meeting if they speak uh, to an agenda item at that point. And uh, we offer that opportunity again in the evening sessions, and I think those start at 630 So at 6.30, if you're there by 6.35, uh, ready to go, there'll be a chance to share again. And both of those are fantastic opportunities. If it's an agenda item, then there is time uh, when you can raise your hand virtually or uh, literally and share during that time too. It's maybe just a little more efficient, you know, if somebody –
4: has, has something they'd like to talk to the commission about if they do look at the agenda ahead of time and they know it's not on the agenda or it's on the agenda, uh, to wait until that uh, that is brought up because the, the chairman will always ask for comments and questions from the commission and then he'll ask for comments and questions from the public after every discussion item. So there's really good opportunity for public input.
1: And just for um, a little additional information for our listeners, let's say we've got somebody who's really passionate about something and they are concerned But public speaking is not in their repertoire. That's not something that they're interested in doing. How do they go about still making sure that the commissioners are aware of what they think and feel and believe without having to get up in front of a
3: microphone? Again, on the on the chaos outdoors website there, you go to commission contact commissioners. And there's a spot where you can contact email one or email all at once. And you can submit it in written form like that. Okay. Uh, you could, I'm assuming you could email Mike, um, you know, let him know or talk to a staff member. Uh, another way to present it is what I did. I had it all in writing when I needed to go talk because I knew otherwise I might miss something important or bunny trail or get nervous and forget something. So I skimmed through and didn't read word for word my letter but was pretty close to reading most of it to them um, so there's multiple opportunities because not everybody wants to get it and speak and and to be honest our meetings will vary in size there's the seven commissioners the staff members. Uh, are there 20 people there a lot of times staff mostly staffers
4: yeah, and there'll be a lot of local staff that come when they get a chance to attend a commission meeting so there might be 20-25 staff at a, at a meeting any given place and then depending on the, the agenda you know a, a smaller number of public people there so it's not a huge group um, but I, I agree with what uh, commissioner Sill just said it it some people will just bring a written statement and hand it out to the commission, and they may, may say a few words if they don't feel comfortable. They do hand it out, and the commissioners all appreciate that. They take that. They consider it. They may discuss it at the time, or they may ask staff to come back at the next meeting with, with a report on it. So there's a, a variety of ways.
2: Great. And you both mentioned the agenda. Is the agenda, so I'm assuming it's available before a meeting, and if it is, where would I find that?
4: We have, a, we have a specific page on our website um, that says uh, commission, and you can look up any of our contact information for commissioners. You can look up agenda. It would probably be posted at least two weeks before the commission meeting, and then a week before the commission meeting there will be the full briefing book. So that will include minutes from the last meeting as well as the uh, briefing items for the, the agenda items in the current meeting. So a week before the commission you can get a pretty good rundown about, uh, of things that are going to be discussed.
2: Great. And the briefing book, so I've seen one before, they're pretty, um, they can be dense. Is that designed for the public to read or is that more for the commissioners or both?
4: I'd say both, but it's, okay. it's available to the public.
3: There can be some history and more details in there that are helpful. Sometimes it can be burdensome too. Um, my husband jokes when my folder shows up, your homework came in the mail today. <laughs> <laughs> As he knows, I'll be reading for the next few days. Uh, But it's helpful. There's another spot there in that commission tab um, that is a member of the public I found helpful, and it's called pending draft regulations. And these are proposed regulation changes that are just about to be voted on. And so if you look at the, if you want to know the most nitty-gritty about what's going to happen and be voted on, um, then that's a good place to go and look for a summary there, too.
1: So let's say somebody's done their homework. They've checked out the agenda. They're aware of what's going to be discussed. They do have an opinion, and they're willing to share that publicly with you guys. Um, what's the protocol for them to approach the commission? Like, is there a formal greeting that they should use? You know, what are the rules of the road?
4: I would say it's it's really informal. Um, generally, they will address the commission specifically, Mr. Chairman and members of the commission. Um, and if the commission have questions they want staff to talk about they will request that on the spot but it's it's really informal um and it's a it's, you address your comments directly to the commissioners
1: so no head bowing or curtsies needed <laughs> Lauren shaking <laughs> a, her head
3: <laughs> a, name, a, a name and where you're from is kind of helpful it builds some context and beyond that um we're good all right
1: average people taking average uh, opinions i like it <laughs>
2: Yeah, okay, so name and where you're from and then you, you say commissioners and then you state your opinion. Is that does that I get hung up on on this kind of formality stuff, but you're saying it doesn't have to be that formal.
3: It does not. And and if if formalities prohibited somebody from coming and sharing, it would be a sin. And so I would rather have come, somebody come and stand up there and say, you know, I'm Lauren, I'm from Hutch, and I'm really nervous, and this is what I'm concerned about, and here's a copy of my letter. And, you know, formalities, of, it, there's nobody up there that's going to be offended if you don't address them as commissioners. So that is that should never keep somebody from sharing with us.
2: Okay. Good to know. Um, I've got a question that is not in our list of vetted questions, but I always wondered why is there a lawyer at the commission meetings?
4: Well, because we're setting regulations and those regulations have to be established through the rules and regs committee in the legislature. And then they have to go through the uh, the state uh, register. And so there's a, there's a, fairly um, specific process to getting those those regulations uh, in place and ready to go uh, whenever they would take take effect say like on July 1 that we can get them into the hunting regulation summary or the fishing regulation summary um, and our chief legal counsel usually handles that there are occasions when there's um, you know interpretations of regulations or statutes requested and uh, so we, we always want to have a uh, legal counsel there to handle some of those questions.
1: Is that and what, okay? Is that is what that legal Chris told you to say? No, <laughs> no.
2: that's Chris, right? It is was it? Chris. So, okay,
4: so Chris has oh. resigned. Um, we're in the process of, of interviewing for a new chief legal counsel at, under the, at right now, and we have a um, I don't know if I'd call him a assistant, but we do have a we have another uh, legal person on on staff. Uh, that works out of the, out of Wichita, but but the, the chief legal counsel is as a position that's open and being interviewed for right now.
1: Okay, so let's get back to that process for approaching the commission. Uh, whether or not legal is there and watching and listening. Um, let's say somebody has something they want to bring in front of the commission, and maybe they weren't aware that it was already discussed. Or so let's say they were, but they still want to talk about it. Maybe they didn't have an opportunity due to a scheduling conflict or maybe they didn't have all the information at the time and and didn't feel comfortable commenting yet. Um, Is the commission still going to be open to hearing what they have to say, even if it's already been discussed?
3: Yes, we would never say, I can't imagine a saying, you know, we talked about that last week, please sit down. Um, I just I just can't fathom that things flux and flow. And ongoing perspectives are still important, even if something, ha- say, a regulation has been passed that they're concerned about. Um, just because it has does not mean that it will never come up again or that there's not things that we need to keep in perspective. And so there, it can still be very appropriate. Lengthy detail at that point might be a bit moot. But still, registering primary concerns is, is
4: okay. And I would say a pretty good example of that is something that may have been brought up that the commission didn't act on. So a regulation change in equipment, and they just decided not to act on it. And maybe it was because there wasn't a very strong recommendation from staff or they just didn't feel support from the from the general constituency. If it continues to be brought up, they continue to hear about it from people and different people, it'll eventually get on the agenda and it may get, you know, uh, put into regulation. So, yeah, it, it, I think it's always appropriate if you, if you have a concern, if you have an issue, to bring it before the commission, even if it has already been the regulation has been voted on. There's always, like I said, we do this every year, seven times a year, and we make amendments and changes to our regulations every year based on input. A lot of it's based on input from the public.
2: Well, you've already highlighted one um, recent change to the commission with the the chief legal counsel position being open. Um, But are there any other recent changes to the commission or any coming up in the foreseeable future?
4: Well, we did add a new commissioner. um, uh, Gary Hazlett's term ended last June. And Phil Escarino was appointed um, from Garden City. He has been at one meeting, and it was a virtual meeting, so we haven 't really got to visit with him in person very much he He did attend the, the June meeting, but it was um, just he was just there for a short time. Um, there will be um, at least one come up at this next june i 'm not sure which it is, but so it like i said it 's staggered for your terms and a lot of times they will ask to be reappointed and that gets considered and they may or may not, but it's, uh, so usually about every t- sometime around June is when those uh, terms will expire.
1: Okay. So we've, we've talked about what the commission is willing to discuss or is able to discuss what are items or where is isn't what's an instance where it wouldn't be appropriate to bring something in front of the commission or the commission doesn't necessarily have decision-making power. Anything that's, that's not kosher for commission business? I'll
4: throw in, and while you're thinking, Lauren, I can see your wheels turning. Uh, one of them is that the commission doesn't have anything to do with personnel issues within the agency. So if you're not happy with the way an area is being managed or you don't think an employee is doing something, you need to go through our, our agency um, uh, chain of command, not the commission. They don't have anything to do with personnel. That's one thing.
3: I think there's some of those things about knowing what's in statute, Uh, There are some of those things that, while it's helpful to know um, that you may like or dislike something or want something changed, uh, those statute things we don't have any control over. And so while I don't know if I would say they're totally off off the possibilities of being brought forward, it's barking up the wrong tree.
1: Yeah. So if something uh, you're talking about items that probably need to be brought forth in front of the legislature because it's it's set at, at the state level, not necessarily within the agency.
4: Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. And then your best route is to go to your local legislator um, and that, start that process there. Yeah. Which is, should also be a, a, an easy thing to do to contact your local legislator and you know tell them what you're concerned about and hopefully they can take that to the state house.
1: Now, some of our listeners who maybe have seen the briefing books before. Um, might notice things that say secretary's orders. How do those work?
4: There's only a few things we do by secretary's orders, and those are those are issues that we, the, the commission doesn't vote on. They generally will, um, we will ask for a consensus. Uh, deer permit quotas are one of those. Um, what's another one? Um, we, ask for, we ask for a vote sometimes on issues, but the secretary's orders are few and far between, but we always put them out before the public, and we always talk about them at least three meetings. So,
2: so no surprises.
4: We hope not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, and as I want to go back to something Mike said about, um, you know, if 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 it's not, if it has to do with the legislature, it wouldn't be appropriate to bring in front of the commission. But that you should feel, you know, comfortable co- contacting your legislative representative. Go back and listen to our episode on civic engagement, part one, with Representative Mark Schreiber because he really lays it out for us on how to do that, and it's not an intimidating process. So um, we hope that you'll be able to listen to that and get comfortable there. Um, One of our last questions is, are there any common myths or misconceptions that you'd like to dispel about the commission?
3: We don't get paid. (laughs) There's not many perks. I have two shirts. And those two shirts, I think, are the extent of goods that I have received in the past three years. There's a per diem that we get when we get to meet in person, and I believe it's $55 um, that is to pay for our meals, our gas, uh, or fuel, things like that uh, when we travel to meetings. So if I travel, from Hutch to Scott City and back in my pickup, I can tell you my $55 did not cover my costs. Um, so there, there really aren't, there is nothing under the table, over the table. This, it is a, it is a service, um, and I think all seven of us are extremely passionate in um, In that service, but this is not a paid position or something that comes with lots of perks. It's more headaches and sleepless (laughs) nights than perks.
0: Oh, no.
4: Yeah, I would say I I think in the past we may have seen commissioners who saw it as a stepping stone to get more involved with a higher level of politics, but for the most part and with the current commission, we have people that are very passionate about the outdoors and that is why they are involved. And and Lauren is absolutely right. There there's we ask a lot of our commissioners to travel a lot to be available for emails and comments and um we don't pay them very well, but you should get mileage now. So, so you should get per <laughs> diem for your meals, and, and you can keep track of your miles and get paid for your mileage. So you Sweet. need to talk to sheep.
1: Moving on up. <laughs> this
3: was worth the trip.
1: Well, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate, and let's say you have somebody who goes, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go to the commission. They've already got their minds made up. What might you say to somebody like that?
3: I would go back to the very first time I went to a commission meeting. I shared um, my concerns over this piece of, of regulation that they were considering. Now, they've already discussed this several weeks. I didn't know about it. I read about it in the newspaper. And I thought, oh, my, that can't happen. You know, this is going to be a problem for me potentially. And um, I shared my concerns, laid out all the points where I thought it was a problem. And I didn't know I was supposed to say in all of take any questions or I'm willing to answer questions, I just said it, and I sat down. I was nervous um, and there wasn't much response initially for a few seconds, and I wasn't sure how to interpret that and um chairman lauber um in in um, handling things appropriately uh by robert's rules uh <laughs> asked for a motion to vote, and no one even made a motion to make a vote. Okay, so this told me. I'm sitting back to yes! You know, <laughs> it worked. It worked. <laughs> they listened. Um, I've got a chance. And so they ended up sending it back to, to Public Lands Department to do some more research based on what I'd, I'd laid out. And so um, it it can make a difference. That, that and for me, that turned things, which um, – for multiple reasons was, was a bit, you know, was a good thing. Um, and it, it, it saved, uh, some of my hunting, uh, opportunities <laughs> as well, I think, but, uh, but it, we're not made up. I, it, it can turn things. And I've seen that sitting on the other side of the table now too, that it, it can make a difference. It can open a perspective, um, Because I come from one background, and as much as we want to be open-minded in things, sometimes we can't see it till somebody explains their situation. And so it teaches me, I learn, I think that happens for all of us, and they can make a difference.
4: I'll I'll add to that. I saw a commission meeting where we had made recommendations for season dates for sandhill cranes and um, geese, and they didn't open on the same day. And some guys got up and said, why don't we open them on the same day? We, we would like to hunt both. The, the, the uh, waterfowl biologist at the time started looking at how his splits worked out. And he thought, there's no reason we can't do this. They reconsidered and they voted. And they, they absolutely responded to those folks that showed up um, to their request. If they hadn't have been there, it wouldn't have happened. So it does work that way. I'll give another example on on muzzleloader equipment. uh, This came from the industry initially where somebody wanted this item called the fire stick, which is a contained powder cartridge that you load into a, a breech loading muzzle loader, you can still only shoot one bullet. You know, it's it's still ignited the same way other muzzle loaders on. Everybody was kind of lukewarm about whether or not we wanted to add this to our equipment list. He, the, the guy that that it brought it up the first time, continued to come to the meetings. We had the public speak up, um, and eventually there wasn't a good reason biologically for us to not allow it, and so that did become uh, a part of our equipment. But it took a while. But you be persistent, you know, unless there is a a negative biological impact you have a chance on on getting some of this uh, into our regulations
2: great well um to kind of wrap us up so i'm i was going to ask you when's the next commission meeting but i went ahead and went to the website as you suggested it's listed right there march 31st in topeka and assuming there will be a a virtual option as well um right yes Yes.
4: there will be we we kind of wait till about two weeks out to make that decision, whether it will be in person with a virtual option or all virtual. And that really depend on what our, what our trends are with COVID at the time. Everybody wants to be in person as much as possible. And so we really try to try to do it that way, but I don't think we'll ever see it without the the virtual um, feature.
2: Okay, great. I'm adding that to my calendar now. And then um on our episodes, we like to kind of close with a, a challenge or a goal um, for our listeners. So as an example, Representative Mark Schreiber challenged everyone to make that first contact with your elected representative. So, Lauren and Mike, I wonder if you could come up with a challenge for our listeners, for each of you.
3: I would encourage folks to get out their computers or get out the, the regulations booklet summary and just scan through and educate yourself a little bit on the difference between what's in statute and what's in regulations you don't have to read them all but but scan through those and skim through those and you might be surprised that you find some things there that uh, you had no idea were were set the way they are so that would be my challenge is to do a little bit of research and reading I like it you know, I, I I was thinking along those same lines because I get frustrated when people have
4: a question and they go on Facebook and they ask some Facebook page a question on a, on a law or a reg, and it's really as easy as looking in our on our website, calling one of our offices. But I guess my challenge would be to sit in on a com, a commission meeting, even is because you can do it from the from the uh, safety of your own home, watch it on Zoom, or you can do it on YouTube. Um, you can look at uh, past meetings on YouTube as well. Um, and learn more about the process because, like I said, we want it to be transparent. We want public to be involved, the public to be involved, um, and so it, it, people can get um, cynical about state agencies and state regulations if they don't understand the process. But the process is there for them, and I would really like people to have a better understanding of that.
1: Yeah, good or bad, nothing
2: happens overnight. It's true. Great. Challenges accepted. (laughs) I'll be there virtually at the March 31st meeting. I'm excited.
4: We'll know. We look at those. We'll we'll know.
2: I don't have to have my camera on, right?
4: You don't, but your name (laughs) will show up.
2: My name will show up. Okay, great. Well, thank you both so much for your time. Um, This has been extremely educational.
3: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us.
2: Thanks, Flatlanders, for tuning
1: in. That concludes our episode. And remember, flat. Is a state of of mind.
0: (laughs) Flatlander Podcast is made possible through a partnership between the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and the Kansas Wildlife Federation. Sound and production by Megan Mayhew. Music by Kansas locals, the Box Turtles. Become a member of KWF for free by visiting kansaswildlifefederation.org. And be sure to follow KWF on Facebook at Kansas Wildlife Federation and on Instagram at KS Wildlife Fed. Stay up to date on all things KDWP by following the department on Facebook at Kansas Wildlife and Parks and on Instagram at the KDWP. Remember, the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks is supported by Flatlanders like you through the sale of licenses and permits. Consider buying a hunting or fishing license today to conserve and protect the wild spaces and faces that make Kansas more than flyover country.